Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As a child, today's guest was an elite gymnast. She was considered a U.S. hopeful for an Olympic gold medal when she was just 19 years old, a year after she won the national champion. But beneath the surface, she was battered by injuries that still impact her today, both physical and emotional. She had to make a tough decision, keep suffering, keep hurting herself for the chance of Olympic gold, or quit, put herself back together, and hope for redemption. Well, she quit. And since exposed her abusive coaches and trainers in the Emmy-winning documentary Athlete A. She would not let them control her life, which seems to be a trend with her. After a 23-year career at Levi Strauss and Company, she rose to the rank of brand president and had the chance to become the next CEO of Levi's. But when Levi's went woke, she was faced with another decision— fall in line and continue climbing the ladder or quit and keep her voice. She quit. She also gave up a million dollar exit package, which would have required her to sign a non-disclosure agreement. But she still remembers that sensation from her gymnastic years of flying through the air beyond everyone's reach and control. And she wasn't going to let anyone take that from her. Today's guest, on a personal note, also um, led me to a destructive seven-figure decision in my own life because of a choice she made. Doubt she knows it, but we'll talk about it. Her latest memoir, Levi's Unbutton, The Woke Mob, took my job but gave me my voice, details the whole wild story in the chronicles of the secrets of woke capitalism. Today's guest on the Glenn Beck podcast, Jennifer Say. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning and you open your eyes, is pain the first thing you think about? It used to be for me. How am I going to face another day of this, of pain? I suffered every day from debilitating pain in my hands, and it made everything I tried to do almost impossible, at least a lot, lot harder. But I'm happy to tell you I don't have that problem anymore. Since I started taking Relief Factor, I got my life back. And that's why I have agreed to talk to you about Relief Factor. I can write. I can think. I can wake up in the morning without my first thought being about pain. Relief Factor, it's not a drug developed by doctors to help fight inflammation in a way that won't knock you out. Try it today. The three-week quick start. It's only $19.95. It's a trial pack, and hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and about 70% of them go on to order more. So go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Get the $19.95 three-week quick start. That's relieffactor.com, 800-4-RELIEF. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you for coming in. Absolutely. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time uh, for a couple of reasons. 
I find you fascinating from the beginning of your life. Um, and you also, one of, I believe, your decisions um, caused a domino to fall in my personal life. And um, it was a seven-figure decision that I made, I think, because of something that you did. We'll get into that later. Um, you, <laughs> If you, this was your decision, in my mind, you were a villain. But I can't wait to talk to you about it. Okay. Um, let's start with your childhood, because I think if we don't understand your childhood, we don't really understand you. So let's start there. Sure. I had a pretty unusual childhood. I was an elite gymnast. I started gymnastics at six years old, and by the time I was 10, I qualified for the elite level. Uh, that's the level to get on the national team and you know travel around the world. Um, I was on the national team for eight years, national champion in 1986. It is a brutal sport, an incredibly cruel training environment, um, absolutely physically, emotionally abusive, and as I think now the world knows, rife with sexual abuse as well. That's crazy. And especially, and maybe not, the, I, I don't know, but talking about the physical uh, and mental, back in the 80s, we were going up against the Soviet Union. So I don't know if it's changed at all, but we knew what they went through, um, not thinking that we did that to our own people. Has it changed at all? Well, you know, in 2016, the story of Larry Nasser broke, right. and he was the USA team gymnastics doctor for 30 years, and he sexually mm -hmm. abused hundreds, over 500 young athletes. He went to prison for life in 2018, so that sort of blew the door wide open on the right. story, and I had written a book about the abuse in the sport in 2008 and was just, I mean, that was my first sort of taste of being canceled, <laughs> kind of prepped me, I guess, for um, being canceled on a larger stage, yeah. if you will. Um, you know, I think we like to present an image in the United States that sure. we were different and we did it because we loved it. But, you know, I started in the 70s. It was it was bad. I mean, coaches hit the kids. Oh, my God. Um, the national team coach for the 80s, the Olympic coach in 1984, he was a sexual assaulter. He was a rapist. Oh, my gosh. Um, of the team? Or well, just, we don't have to get into yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, the one specific case that I know that he was actually banned from the sport for um, is one of my closest friends. Oh and, and I wrote about it in the book, and everybody said, how dare you, you know, tarnish this man's reputation. You're a liar and a grifter. All the same terms they always mm -hmm. use, liar and grifter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um and this was before Me Too, so no right. one had to believe women. We right. were just, you know, I mean, I was considered, you know, a failed ex-gymnast, that it was bitter and trying to get back and make money. And to bring you back on track, it wasn't, you weren't a failed gymnast. You chose <laughs> to leave. You were at the, the height. And I assume your parents were there, obviously, from six which is a huge commitment for a whole family, right? Yeah, it really is. And so then you get to the top you're ready to go to the olympics two years away from it uh and you say i'm quitting i actually quit just a month before the olympic trials in 88 and i 
really was so broken at that point that I could not continue. Explain I just blame that because you had several things going on. Yeah, I mean, I had a ton of injuries. Um, I had broken my femur at the World Championships in 1985, wow. which is bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having had four children, I will tell you it's worse than childbirth. Wow. Um, I wouldn't wish it on, you know, on yeah. anyone. I came back from that nine months later to win the national championship. So, you know, I wasn't letting my injuries heal and I just kept getting one injury on top of the next. And by 1988, I had been training on a broken ankle for two years. I didn't know it was broken. The doctor mm. kept saying, there's nothing wrong. You're fine. Take another cortisone shot. And but more than that, my mind was I was just unraveling. Um, I had a bad eating disorder. I was um, anorexic. And I just lost the ability, frankly, to do the sport. And the Germans, it was against the law for you to feed a Jew anything over. I think it was 600 calories a day just to keep them completely weak. I never knew that. You, you weren't allowed to eat over 400 calories. Well, that was my self-imposed. Okay. But to maintain the weight that I was asked to maintain, that's what was required. And we were, you know, weighed twice a day and screamed at over the gym's loudspeaker. You know, we don't coach fat gymnasts. Jennifer gained a quarter oh of a pound. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the humiliation and the bullying, it's it's pretty horrific. And so I, yeah, I mean, I was on a starvation diet, but so were all the members of my team. We all were. We were told lose weight by tomorrow by any means possible. Wink, wink, you know, that's, you're not gonna do that in a healthy way if you're already 98 pounds and 18 years old. Oh my gosh. So I was falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, you know, I'd like to say it was an empowering decision to walk away, but it wasn't. I mean, I left feeling ashamed and just like a complete failure. It took me years to rebuild myself. And why is that? Everybody, you know, you mentioned the parents. My parents had given up so much, um, arguably too much, you know. Um, and they were really upset with me. I mean, I didn't talk with my mother for over a year after I walked away. Everybody was disappointed and angry and felt they'd put so much into this career and I was disappointing them. And I was like, but I'm falling apart. I mean, I was suicidal. You did tell them this, right? You told them about, you know, not fat when shaming it was and not when it was happening. Not when it was happening. And parents weren't really allowed in the gym. Mm. Um, although my mom did work there periodically. I mean, I think she knew, but it was so normalized. Do you know how you can be in this like microcosmic world and suddenly these completely horrific behaviors become normal? Yeah, it's called America. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think it just became normalized. And I even thought it was normal, but I was suffering. And mm. the, the, the problem is, and this is what abusers do, they... If you weren't bad, I wouldn't have to treat you this way. If you Correct. weren't fat, I wouldn't have to treat And so you internalize it, and then you feel ashamed for suffering. And that's what was so hard to get over that took me two decades, really, was to not kind of internalize the shame and make it about me being a bad, weak person. So you leave there. You go to Stanford. Tell me what you pursue. Where do you go from here? Well, when I went to college, I was exhausted. You know, I was 19 and I felt like I was going to a retirement home and I get there and all the kids are, 
you know, excited to be out on their own for the first time. And I'm just tired. And I had lived on my own to train. I traveled the world. I had I was a good student. You know, I wouldn't have gotten into Stanford, but I wasn't a very curious or I had a lot of insecurity about my intellect. School had not been a focus. Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly I wanted to have fun and I got, you know, I was pretty, I was rebellious Mm -hmm. as one can be when they're young. Mm -hmm. And it was a good period of time for me and I sort of learned what I was interested in academically, but I was still, I lacked confidence to actually pursue what I wanted to. Can we stop there for a second just as a unrelated side note? The... I don't think people realize the importance if you're in a position of authority or people just look up to you, the importance of saying, you're smart, you're good, you, you belong here, you should continue to question. People, I think all of us have this, this view of ourselves that we kind of hide, that we're not worthy or we're not good enough or smart enough. And when somebody somebody says to you or you have to eventually prove it to yourself that you are smart enough uh it's incredibly freeing isn't it yeah i don't know if i would have listened but yeah no one i mean my dad did say it um i always felt not smart enough and not good i don't think dads and moms count yeah you're right probably somebody else needs to say it um i did i had terrible imposter syndrome as it's called I was waiting for them to throw me out of school Um, and I probably had it well into my late 30s you know Um, I don't know where that comes from I don't think everybody has it it. I think a lot of people I think you're right I think a lot of women type a women have it (laughs) that's for sure I know I had Um, I might (laughs) I might be one of them because I had it real for a very long time. And so how did you? Somebody said to me, you know, you're you're smart enough to figure this stuff out. And he was a Yale professor. And um, and then uh, couple that with being called everything under the sun and being a decent human being that doesn't just blow that off. You actually go, wait a minute. Right. Am I that? Do yeah. I do those things? Once you've self-examined enough which should never stop happening but and you you really know who you are then you don't care that's right and that's the most freeing of all so how old were you when that happened uh i was 32 when somebody said you're smart enough and i was probably 43 when you believed it yeah and i was and and i didn't care anymore because i had Thank you. I had been attacked from every angle and even your allies that you thought were allies attack you from behind. And you're like, wait, what is happening here? Yeah, that's about the age I was, 43. I don't think I had that person to say that to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, as I was kind of coming up the ladder in corporate America, which, you know, we'll talk about, it was sort of the opposite. You know, it was. Because they <laughs> you're you know, you're this, that and the other. You're not this. You'll never be a leader. Um, you know, you're a good number three and you can yeah. do the appointments and the, you know, the tactical stuff. But you have no vision. And it took me until I was probably in my early 40s to say, you're wrong. Yes, I am good enough. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, it, it and took those me are a- the people that changed the world. It's it's amazing to me how many people. I didn't understand um, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York until I actually lived there, and then I was at the top of the heap. The, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. What he means is. There are thousands of people who will shiv you in the back for that opportunity. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that opportunity is usually not given. You have to come in and just, I don't care what anybody else says. This is who I am. And this is what I'm going to do. Those people change the world. Yes. And this is what I'm capable of. Yes. I don't care what you say. This is what I'm capable of. Corporate And political and everything is geared to make you feel small, I think. Yeah, they do a pretty good job. And I started in a hole, you know, with the training that I described. And that's part of why I lay all of this out in my new book to say, if I can get there, having started in this deep hole and didn't even, you know, start to climb out of it really until my mid thirties, then you can do it too. Yes. Yes. Um, It's hard. It's hard work. And it's not to say, I think you raise a really good point that you don't listen to what other people have to Mm -hmm. say who are offering feedback in good faith, Mm -hmm. but you get to decide what's true and what's not and what you need to work on. And even if they say things about you that are not true, if you can figure out if more than one is saying it, maybe there's something I'm doing that is causing That's people right. to feel that way. So what is that? Yeah. And then you have just a series of decisions. Life yes. is nothing but a series yeah, of decisions. Yeah, you have to kind of integrate it and kind of, am I presenting myself this way? Correct. Am I, is there you know, something I need to adjust? What or, is true? Yeah, exactly. But it takes great... You have to really, you have to have a lot of um, self-knowledge to be able to do that. And it took me a long time. Do you think you can do that without um, severe setbacks of some sort, without your childhood, without what just happened at Levi's? Can you get there if your life is pretty charmed and no, there's no real resistance? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. I've been wondering if anybody does. I'm not sure. I mean, I've certainly encountered lots of folks that are sort of the opposite that you know, I think it's called Dunning-Kruger <laughs> syndrome that like, you know, overestimate their abilities mm-hmm. and their capability and certainly never listen to any feedback because mm-hmm. they're so confident. And that's a problem also yeah. in the opposite direction. I don't know yeah. if that's a function of a charmed life, though, or just a sort of innate personality disorder. Yeah, good. <laughs> Every minute in this country, babies are dying from abortion. It is perhaps the worst stain on our country's conscience in her long history, bringing shame and tragedy into the world every single day. But in the midst of darkness, there is always a light, and that light is preborn. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through ultrasound. Once they hear that heartbeat and see the precious life with their own eyes, 80% of the time they choose life. Preborn, the pregnancy clinics are positioned in top abortion areas where most abortions unfortunately still take place. But preborn doesn't stop there. They love and support the mothers and the children with maternity clothes, diapers, counseling, so much, so much more for up to two years. Preborn is completely dependent on you. 
the pro-life community as they fight these giants. So $28 uh, just for one donation of $28, you can rescue a baby's life. 140 sponsors five ultrasounds. And now through a match, your gift is doubled. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies' lives. Our goal is to save 50,000 Blaze babies. Will you join us? Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or securely at preborn.com slash Glenn. So um, you leave school. When do you get to Levi's? So I left school in 92. I graduated in 1992. I didn't start Levi's till 1999. So I had a couple, few jobs in between. Okay. And you joined Levi's because you love the product. You love the company. I had worn the brand since I was a child. Who hasn't? I know. You know, I mean, almost everyone has a pair of Levi's yeah. in their closet. Are you from well, um, right coast or left coast? I'm from um, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. My wife didn't grow up with Levi's. It was so strange. I on said, the East Coast. On the East Coast. Yeah. Buttonflies. Yeah. Where everybody wore yeah. them, where I grew up. They but, really didn't cross um, into the East Coast yeah. until like 84, 85. That's so strange. It, yeah. It's in, in, you know, they were a big sponsor for the 1984 Olympics in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And that was really when the distribution opened wide That's in the crazy. US. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it was yeah. very much a West Coast huh, brand. Huh. Okay. So you join as... Um, about as low level as you can be assistant to the assistant <laughs> something <laughs> very low level and you when did you become chief marketing I became chief marketing officer in 2013 in the fall of 2013 and you know it's interesting because I had risen the ladder and I was a vice president there's a lot of vice presidents people don't get that in in corporate um, but when the, C the CEO that is the current sitting CEO started in 2011 his name is Charles Berg Chip Berg he liked me a lot and it really kind of accelerated my career it also ended it <laughs> which we'll get to um, it was interesting he didn't have this baggage you know he hadn't known me since I was an assistant he took me as I was as I presented myself you know because for if people have known you for 12, 13 years, they have all this data and they remember when you were 29 and maybe said something dumb. The best thing kids can do at 18, I think, is move away from their hometown. Oh, yeah. Because you get a chance to be you, yep. not what everybody... I'm still... My, my sisters are still not impressed with their little stinky brother you yeah, know? yeah of I mean, course. I'm still of the course. You know, small one in the family, so yeah. get away from it. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, it was a real gift you know he came mm -hmm. in and he took me as I was in the moment and mm -hmm. um, he appointed me as the CMO in um, 2013 and I sat in that chair for eight years which is really long for a CMO most I think the average tenure is 18 months 20 months so then you were not the person that made the decision you may have been on the team um, that affected me um, oh, I'd love to hear I I've always loved Levi's, always loved Levi's. Um, big fan of Cone Mills. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, you know Cone. That's oh, yeah. awesome. And I, I have always loved the product. It is America. It's not politics. It's America. Hard. I've always said that. Working. Best values. Best of, values. Yeah. Best representation of what we think of as America. Correct. We, Levi's was the symbol of America. Yep. To the Soviet Union, the people 
would give their arm for a pair of 501s. Did you know we had pictures in the hallways at the plaza, as we called it, mm-hmm. when the wall came down, men atop the wall, all wearing Levi's 501s. Mm-hmm. Not product placement, because yeah, <laughs> some yeah. smart marketer right, would try right. to do that today, but because it was a symbol yeah. of freedom the Correct. world over. So you ran, Levi's ran a spot of... I know what you're going to say. You know what spot it was? I think so. Keep going. (laughs) Um, We are the uniform of the revolution. It's not mine. Thank you. I'm glad. Uh, I started my own jean company. uh, Ran for about 10 years. And, you know, I I had nothing. I did it out of... I, I love Levi's. And if you are going to take that stand... I don't love another pair of jeans. I personally will make it from the Cone Mills. I will make the jeans that Levi's used to make. And I did, it cost me a fortune. I bet. But uh, everything made in America. And it was just because of that ad. I was so angry at, how dare you take, take that position when there's lots of us that don't have that position. Yeah. Um, so I write about that campaign in the book. It was not mine. I was running e-commerce at the time. Mm. Um, I was the recipient as the commercial leader of that content uh, mm. and was like, what? No, I can't use this. One, it's dark. Like, forget the, Very dark. Forget the you know, politics. Or, no, you it know. was revolutionary like, Molotov cocktails. People have fun in jeans. What are we doing mm-hmm. here? You can't even see any product. Our business was terrible at the time and this was like this desperate attempt to um appeal to younger consumers by capitalizing on their perceived activism it was terrible and i was like i can't even use any of this it's and to his credit um the ceo did not like it either Mm. um you know he was in early days and i think some stuff was already about to go and that was you know why he put me in the role he was like we got to get back to marketing the jeans um in a relevant way with a focus on the product so you cannot be mad at me about I, that I, I, i'm not mad at anybody anymore <laughs> or um, him he didn't like yeah. it either um i still don't buy levi's because of that but um so i, I want to because there's so many labels and None of them are ever defined. And I'm convinced that so many people have so much more in common than they have. I agree. You say you're a progressive and I, I define progressive clearly as the 19 early 1900s. Most people don't even know the origin of progressives. Um, But I, instead of using labels, do you, do you believe in the bill of rights? Yes. All of them, all like the top all ten. Yes, I then believe we in have it. no, we have no issue. Yeah, I would say um, I formerly identified as a lefty. Left, I would have said left of left of center. Used progressive in that right, place. Right, right. You know, given the last few years of my life and what we've all experienced, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I wouldn't use those labels anymore. And I wouldn't use any of the labels anymore because I still believe in the idea of progress and, you know, making life better for the most possible people, including as many people as possible in the American dream. I believe in this project. I believe in free speech, which does not seem to be a progressive value right now. So I would just shy away from using any of the labels. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what conservative means anymore. I just want to conserve the Bill of Rights and the amendments. We want to change things. Great. Let's do it. Let's just use the process yeah, to I do think, that. I think and where not we, coercion and And I think where we collectively, I mean my beliefs sometimes fail is we don't include everybody in that. Mm-hmm. Bill of Rights or in what it means to move forward and have opportunity. And I think we make progress there. Mm -hmm. That's progressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Progressive is not itself a bad. I believe in progress. Yeah. If you just think of progress as the Mm -hmm. the root of that word. And I think while we failed at times to include everybody in that dream, I think we continue to work hard to make, make that progress and make progress <laughs> and so i still believe in that yeah yes. okay so do I, I don't think i've changed really i mean we'll get into the story i i've changed in that i reject the left right binary i reject you know red blue any of that i i don't identify as blue i don't i just believe in everything you just articulated yeah. um that's why that's why we have been separated i think we lost the understanding of e pluribus unum from many one what are those things that we all believe in and they should be life liberty pursuit of happiness you know first amendment second amendment third amendment we can argue about some of these and where they go but generally speaking that was what brought us all together and that's where the argument kind of ends everything out of free speech we can argue about we'd argue all day long about those things and still love each other and still be one yeah i feel like what is most concerning to me is i think this is sort of where you're going um what i've seen in the last three years let's say is a vast majority of people do not believe in individual rights and we're completely fine giving them up and demonizing anyone who said, hey, wait a minute, what about right. <laughs> the right to gather, the right to worship, the all of it. All of it. You are a horrible person. And there seems to be this lack of, you know, Bill of Rights respect for our humanity yeah. and the individual, yeah. which is why we need individual rights. It was like I, I don't I don't I worry that younger generations are willing to give that up. Oh, I, I think studies show they yeah. they are. When I left Fox, one of the reasons I left Fox was Roger Ailes said to me, Glenn, we all love the Constitution because I was pounding on the Bill of Rights to the right. And uh, he said, we all love the Constitution, but there are things we have to do. No, no, that that's what leads okay. you to internment camps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sorry. Bill of Rights, Constitution, if it's outside of that, you're going to have to find a legal way to do or just not do what you're planning on doing. Anyway, so you you were doing fine um, and um, trying to pull the company back out of its hole of <laughs> the revolution. Yeah, and we did it. Did you? 
Yeah. Okay, good. Um, we put ourselves on a trajectory, and I, you know, I'm proud. I was a big part of that. Um, now, was that sales or is that perception? Both. Okay. Both. We set um, in the beginning, you know, 2013, I sort of look at that as the beginning of our kind of march. We called it the 20 mile march, improve every year, bit by bit, top and bottom line. Uh, we IPO'd and Gosh, was it 2019 or 18? I think it was 19. So we went public. I got to stand up on the thing. Mm -hmm. It was a cool moment. Mm -hmm. I definitely, um, you know, was a huge part of that process in rebuilding the brand's image and connecting to more and more people around the world and driving sales. Our women's business was through the roof. It never had been before. Mm -hmm. We set a goal for ourselves to hit a billion in sales for women's in five years. We did it in two. I mean, we were on fire and I was definitely kind of the public face of the the brand as the chief marketing officer. I was credited with a lot of it. Not all of it, a lot of it. Right. And then COVID happened. Yep. And what happened? From day one, probably even before day one of shutdowns, as I sort of saw it coming, (laughs) I was very outspoken um, about how wrong it was to close the public schools. Now, I was alarmed about all of it lockdowns all of it i knew somewhere in my brain this was controversial i I didn't feel it yet but Mm -hmm. i knew it would be and i thought i'll keep my advocacy to children because to your point can't we all agree on our kids yes isn't that one thing and if i can get people i thought of myself as pretty logical and diplomatic you know you learn that as a woman in corporate Mm -hmm. america (laughs) Mm -hmm. i thought i can get people to see it through our children Um, So I had feelings about all of it, lockdowns and everything, but I focused on kids and restrictions to kids from from March 13th, uh, 2020, which is when... you were really early. I was early. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What were you going to say? No, you know, and I was, you know, know, what does that look like to be outspoken? I was outspoken on social media. I didn't have much of a following at the time. But it sort of evolved, and I was on local news shows by the fall of 2020. I was writing op-eds. No one reached out to me at the company until September of 2020. So I had a six-month run where I was like, maybe no one noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just keep going. Um, I should mention my husband was also very outspoken, and that'll be part of the story in a bit. And he was, you know he is a more aggressive communicator than I am. He doesn't work for anyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he went for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Good for him. I would never tell him he can't do that. Um, Although I did get a lot of criticism for the things he said. I said he doesn't work here, but, you know. Um, So, yeah, I was very outspoken from the very beginning. And then, um, you know, I got that first call from the head of corporate communications. You know, she sees her job, and it is her job to protect the company's reputation. She said, we were all working virtually, so I get a phone call, which no one called anyone, you know. (laughs) They just sent emails, and I was like, oh, gosh, this is it. This is the one I've been waiting for. And she said, people are noticing your Twitter. And I said, oh. Yeah. Um, When you speak, you speak on behalf of the company. I said, I don't. I don't have Levi's in my bio. I'm a mom, four kids, public school children in San Francisco. She said. You never went on TV as anything Levi's dress. 
And at this point, I don't even think I'd been on. But I always ask them explicitly, do not identify me okay. as. And usually they said, oh, we didn't even know you were. Because okay. I wasn't out there waving my arms <laughs> right. around as the head of Levi. You had to look for it. Right. Um, she said, I don't know. She went on for a bit. And I said, are you telling me I need to stop? I wanted her to say yes, you know. And she said, no, I can't do that. And I don't know if she meant because, you know, we were peers and she wasn't my boss or because I actually have a right to say <laughs> right. or a little bit of both. And I said, OK, then I'm not going to. You know, this is a continuation of the advocacy I've done for children in sports because I became very outspoken about that after my experience in gymnastics. And I wish as a child someone had stood up for me and these kids aren't going to do it. And it sort of petered out because neither of us wanted to really keep talking. Mm -hmm. And then this is the part that just lit me on fire. Um, around that same time, all the private schools in San Francisco opened. So she and all of my other peers were sending their kids back to school. Yep. Mine were in public. Mine are still in public. And the nerve of waving your arms around and talking about equality, because this is after the summer of 2020 mm -hmm. and the murder mm -hmm. of George Floyd and everybody's posting black squares and all, mm -hmm. you remember. Um, we're gonna do our part in defeating racism. And they're saying to me, you can't advocate for what we have. We are wealthy white folks in San Francisco sending our kids to $60,000 a year private elementary schools I'm not crying poor here. I chose no, to. No, 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 I know. I chose to send my kids to public. Mm -hmm. You cannot advocate for the 50,000 children in San Francisco public schools, 60% of whom are low income, to have the same opportunity. And so <sighs> that just sort of lit me on fire. <laughs> and it's the same thing with. Um, don't go out, no social, you can't, you have to social distance, you can't be in any crowds, but go ahead and protest, that may actually be healthy for you. Well, only one kind of protest. Well, only one kind of protest, yeah. Because yeah. my husband had um, led a few rallies and participated in a few anti-lockdown rallies, and those were all broken up by police. Mm. Those were not acceptable. Right. Those were very dangerous. Yeah, they're very dangerous. Yeah, even though there were like six people there, because no one, <laughs> it was San Francisco right, after yeah. all. <laughs> So from that first call in September, it went on that way for another year and a half that I kept getting calls. Different people were assigned to speak to me. They had the unfortunate job of calling me and having me be rather intransigent and just kind of repeat the same things. Um, head of HR, a board member. My boss avoided the call. He was a CEO. He doesn't necessarily like having those, but eventually he did. I mean, he called me a trumper in an executive team meeting. I mean, I don't know what that has to do with anything. You voted for Elizabeth Warren in the primary. In the primary. Yeah, that's it. That's Which, not a trumper. <laughs> I, I had been a registered Democrat my entire life. If anything, they criticized my views as too, you know, Warren anti-business, yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, but I was never told I couldn't say things. I was never told not to post about mm -hmm. any of, you know, my mm -hmm. political leanings until. <laughs> um, so it went on that way. I'd get a call every two weeks. I would say, 
no, thank you. I don't think I want to stop. The head of legal, you know, said you might want to think about it when you speak on behalf. Uh, when you speak, you speak on behalf of the company. And he said an interesting thing. The head of legal, when he called me, he said, "Okay, I understand, but make sure you get to him first. And I was like stopped in my tracks. I didn't know what he meant. Um, and I realized because at this point I was on some local news shows. He meant I needed to tell Chip, my boss if I was going to say something publicly because this woman in corporate communications was running to him and basically updating him on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. on my, he wasn't on social media. He didn't know Mm -hmm. any of it. Um, And of course it was very slanted, you know, the way she was doing that, but it went on that way for a while. I chose to move my family to Denver in February of 21 so that my youngest children could be in school and at that point, you know, I posted about that on social media and I got a call from Fox um, to go on uh, the Ingram angle. Jeff. You, you see where this is oh, going. Yeah. Uh, I called my little open. You can be on anything except anything on Fox. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I kind of knew that. I mean, I didn't watch the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't need to. I knew. I didn't watch any news at this point. Mm -hmm. I was like obsessed with reading COVID data. Mm. (laughs) Um, I called my little group of open schools moms, you know, across the country, because at this point we were all kind of in it together. Most Mm. of them came from the same political leanings I did. And they said, you need to do it. This is a chance. We'd been trying to get ourselves in the mainstream Mm -hmm. i don't even know what that means Mm -hmm. no one would talk to us we were just Mm -hmm. billed as these like racist horrible people who QAnon. oh yeah i got that theorists conspiracy theorists i had a hood in my closet (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i wanted to kill all the black children Mm -hmm. and grandmothers those two and teachers yeah all those yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know i'm a trained media professional that they said well you're going to get dragged for it but do it do it for us you know represent the open schools moms mm-hmm. and go on the show so i did it in march of 21 and that's when things started to get really bad for me at work i mean they were pretty bad before but they got really bad then are you unhappy with your progressive glasses have you been told to just go home and get used to your progressives not me i use Rodenstock glasses from Better Spectacles Now. I love these glasses. Better Spectacles, a conservative American company, is now exclusively offering Rodenstock eyewear for the first time in the U.S. And Rodenstock is this 144-year-old German company that's been considered the world's gold standard for glasses. Rodenstock scientists use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. And they've taken the findings from over a million patients and combined them with artificial intelligence. And the result is... This, the biometric intelligent glasses or big glasses, which gives you a seamless natural experience that works perfectly with your brain, improves your vision and sharpness at all distances, including up to 40% better at near and intermediate distance, as well as providing you with better night vision. 98% of the people who have these glasses recommend them. I do. BetterSpectacles.com slash Beck. Go there now. Schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your home. Offering an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted rodent stock frames. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big. 
go big. Visit betterspectacles.com slash Beck. Betterspectacles.com slash Beck. This is when yes. you got an email Pretty from soon. Levi's. This is, this is astounding. They wrote to you, Jen, I've been, who is it that's writing to you? Well, I'm not going to tell you okay. a name because I'm not going to be mean. And uh, okay. But it was somebody in corporate communications and between HR and corporate communications, they were suggesting I needed to do an apology tour. So this was meant to kindly prepare me for said apology tour. Okay. Think about this. And my sense is that there are people who just don't like what you're saying or where you said it. It's in conflict. I'd say it's where you said it. It's in conflict with a good, bad world we're living in. Doesn't that tell you everything right there? That we shouldn't be living in a good, bad world? Where Fox is bad, MSNBC is good. Uh, was going on Fox and that show in particular an endorsement of what they stand for? Uh, are you one of us or one of them? That's the kick in the pants, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Perhaps an, overs- perhaps an oversimplification. But that's what it feels like. I think explaining why Fox is important. Um, I don't think you actually need to address each of those, but I'm guessing the following is pretty close to a list in an apology tour, right? Why did you choose Fox, Laura Ingram's show? My guess is you didn't choose them. They were the only ones offering Correct. Correct. Um, do you endorse? <laughs> do you endorse the views of Fox News and Laura Ingram? Can you? I mean, think of that. You're being held. You're being held to an impossible. If I went on MSNBC, do you endorse the views no. of whoever that is, Rachel Maddow? Of course not. Of so course what? not. You're having a conversation. Well, and I would go on those now, and I don't endorse anything they did for right. the last three years, but I'm fine right. to have a conversation. Yes. Um, are you anti-mask? Do you want me to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> I had been outspoken about masking of very young children, toddlers. Mm-hmm. I did not speak about adult masking. I mm-hmm. am opposed to it. I think it hinders communication. Agreed. But we had a policy, and I didn't talk about it. Great. Um, are you anti-vax? I was vaccinated in May of 2021. Are you into conspiracy That's theories? That's the best one. I love this. Are you into conspiracy theories? Yeah, because yeah. you're conspiring <laughs> against me. So I think it's not a theory. Yeah, there's a difference between conspiracy theory and conspiracy fact. Uh, are you anti-union? That's an amazing question. Is advocating for school reopenings uh, perpetrating systematic racism, mostly white moms. Is there a conflict <laughs> of interest between your role as Levi's brand president and what you're saying on your personal Twitter? That's the only one that I would push you on their behalf. Sure. If you are the... You're the, are you the spokesperson? I was the president. So I got, amidst all of this controversy internally... In October of 2020, I got promoted to brand president. And that's probably next in line for CEO if you do a good right, job. Right. Yeah. So, but you never went on. You never identified. Nobody ever identified you as that, right? Can I just tell you, I still get, like, right? My, I had a book come out two weeks ago. I still get people writing to me now and say, I didn't even know you worked for Levi's until 
your book, which is called Levi's Unbutton. I had no idea. People didn't know. I was just this mom saying we need to open the schools. People really didn't. They didn't know. So as a business person, if the president of my company is saying things that are against me, and I'd just like to hear your response. Do I have any rights because you're causing disruption with everybody who works here and, I understand. and my, you know, my clientele? I, I totally <laughs> hear where you're coming from. No, I'm, I'm, I think it's a fair question. It is a fair question. I guess I would answer it in, in two ways. The first is the business was great. Mm-hmm. So all the fears and, you know, all the arm waving and hysteria around you're going to destroy our business and our reputation was false. We were coming out mm-hmm. of the COVID hole. You know, our mm-hmm. stores have been closed. You know, our mm-hmm. business had been down set at 70% in the spring and summer of 2020. But we were emerging strong because of the strength of the brand, which is what I led. So I think that's the first and most important mm-hmm. point is it was not impacting the business. Mm-hmm. The second is if you're going to have a rule that your leaders can't do this, then you better make them sign something. Some sort. You better have some sort of policy mm-hmm. in place because you had no issue with me being very outspoken on other issues and politics when they aligned. So now, and I, I, I promise you, if I was up screaming about keep all the schools closed or you're going to kill all it the teachers, it would have been fine. So now we're into viewpoint discrimination. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. And then I will end by saying, I guess they have that right. Fine. I chose this. I said I decided for myself this was more important. And if I and and you know what? I I was right. It was damaging. Horribly damaging. So does that count? Apparently not. No. (laughs) But it also if you were the if you were the uniform of the revolution, I would understand that. But if you were trying to dig yourself out of that hole, it would have made people like me that you leaving only reinforced sure. what I believed about Levi's. You hadn't made that impact on me. And if they would have said, hey, we really disagree with her, but we believe in the right to disagree. See, this is the thing. <laughs> I think it could have all been handled so easily. And, you know, you mentioned if you've lost uh, lost the trust of employees and certainly that as a leader in a company, you know, you have to be aware of that. It was a tiny, tiny percentage of very vocal employees. It was not the entire organization. And in fact, when I did that apology tour. What was the apology tour? (laughs) So, you know, after I appeared on Ingram's show, the noise, I'll call it noise, got kind of louder and louder. But again, I think it's a small minority of people Mm -hmm. and they're complaining and they're chit chattering and. And so a friend came to me um, who was on my team and said, we might want to do this. You might want to do this. And then HR got involved in corporate communications. And I was like, you know, my husband said, you should refuse. And I said, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to apologize. I won't bend a knee, but I will explain myself. Mm -hmm. I still had this sort of naive faith in my ability (laughs) to explain Mm -hmm. myself and build a bridge. So it took some planning. No, you had a naive, not in your ability in the ability of others being honest. There. Um, So we had it in June. That was the preparation for it. Um, I introduced myself. I explained, you know, my background and history and 
you know, my advocacy for children in sport and how that was related mm-hmm. to this. Um, the fact that two of my children are mixed race, which shouldn't matter, but I, you know, explained mm-hmm. all of this. <laughs> and um, you got torched for that, too, didn't you? Not internally, but certainly don't you shouldn't bring those <laughs> it's like Jeez. a shield just using a shield for oh your actual racism <laughs> um yes that's what i think my children are yeah a shield yeah exactly um and so i did it and there were three questions only so not all those questions mm-hmm. um one was about you know the racism of school advocacy mm-hmm. as a white mother although our group of moms in the bay area was always diverse so that was a lie perpetrated mm-hmm. by the press saying it was just this movement of mm-hmm. rich white yoga moms that was never true um one was about my husband and his voice um which you know the short answer is he doesn't work here i support his right to speech and yours and yours and he can say what he wants he has no constraints nor should i honestly as an employee of this company um spouses can disagree what how Mm -hmm. retrograde is that that you assume i agree with everything my husband Mm -hmm. says um so we moved on and then the third was a comment that was just thank you i understand better now and i got a couple emails the next day people saying i really get it now i do i understand so i thought it was like a Mm. moment that we kind of I was like (laughs) let's get on with the work (laughs) but it just didn't stop you know we would have these town halls at work and people would submit they were all virtual questions about my racism and my conspiracy theorizing I was called anti-trans which I don't even understand where that came from um and it just went on and on and you know he got tired of it Mm. um Although, you know, then in the summer, he and I had dinner, my boss and I had dinner, and he said, you're a real candidate for CEO. You're one of two. He'd never said that to me before. Um, It might have been bait to get me to stop, which I didn't do. Mm -hmm. He then requested a background check. He said it was standard operating procedure, which I believe to be true, but did one on my husband Mm -hmm. as well, Um, which included social media. And by January, you know, reported back to me and said, you're going to have to leave. Wow. Not on my performance. It was solely on my advocacy, my social media presence. And here, so, and then he offered me severance. Million dollars. A million dollars. Um, That comes with a non-disclosure agreement. That's standard. How much is your silence worth? I don't, I was going to say more than that, but I don't, (laughs) I don't, um, that's a lot of money. You know, it, may, it would make a big difference in my life, certainly. I certainly would be less nervous um, about mm-hmm. the future. I'm not so old. I got to make a living. I'm mm-hmm. the breadwinner for our family. Mm-hmm. But everything I'd been fighting for for two years, beyond the children, was free expression, free speech, the First Amendment. And so taking hush money felt so wrong to me. I just wouldn't have been able to look myself in the mirror. Good for you. So I didn't and I quit. And then the next day publicly published a piece on Barry Weiss's common sense substack. Why Barry Weiss? Um, it's a good question. 
I just, you know, I followed her story closely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she famously wrote, Twitter's not on the masthead of the New York Times, but I might get the quote a little wrong, but they're certainly kind of driving the mm-hmm. policy and content. And that was so comparable to my story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was this Twitter mob. Um, demanding my ousting and hashtag boycott Levi's and all of this. And I just thought she was the right person. I think she's amazing. I think she's making a, there are a few people that are um, stepping away from, I don't know, the play. Well, I think outside of the binary, they're stepping outside of the binary, whether it's the political binary. I mean, I think it's funny that she's always billed as this like right, all right. I mean, she's not. She's not at all. She's not. Um, And so I, yeah, it just seemed, and and she's been amazing and supportive and um, wanted to tell the story. And um, I just felt like we were of like minds, you know. So let's go into, because you've talked about it in your book, let's go into woke capitalism. Sure. What it is and um, the lie that you now think it is. Yeah, in many ways it's illustrated by that campaign that you hated. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, I think there's a lot of things going on. I think the first is it is corporate America's attempt to profit off of Gen Z activism, Gen Z and millennial activism, right? They're trying to kind of, I know that's a cynical take, but it's factually correct. And that's part of what capitalism is, to either create a need in you or to exploit a need you already have. Right, so, you know, they're not even exploiting a need, they're exploiting a value, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, kind of gross I think mm-hmm. um, so that's part of it I think there's this other piece which is you know for for many many years it was assumed that corporate leaders were Republicans right mm-hmm. they were they greedy and greed mm-hmm. was good and mm-hmm. now really a lot of corporate leaders in some of the biggest industries are Democrats and I mean it really is the party of elite and you have you know tech led by the left and mm-hmm. You know, I, even I, Goldman Sachs is waving their arms around being woke. I mean, it's banking for yeah. God's sake. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, I, I say, I, I used to hate things like Blade Runner, where the, you know the bad guys worked for the corporation, which was the government. And I used to think, come on. So this is what this is it. They they don't right? want to be the bad guy. Right, but you, the left was right. You were right. You were right. You got it you know, right once. You Why did you it. change? You nailed it. We we were wrong. You were right. And you got we're this like one. now we're like wait a minute. You the bad guys and they don't recognize it or they it's so have weird. just embraced it. it. Is so bizarre. It's very bizarre. And so there's this real desire for these leaders to distance themselves from the you know robber barons of the past mm-hmm. um, from the greed is good of the past and to say no I'm a good person I'm a philanthropy I would have been in philanthropy or I'm an altruist I just happened to make billions of dollars mm-hmm. which never happens on accident mm-hmm. let's be clear they're just as greedy as the mm-hmm. ones that came before mm-hmm. them um, 
and they have their children who they've sent to these very woke mm-hmm. elementary schools and high schools and colleges and they want to impress them there's this new dynamic between mm-hmm. parents and children's I, children i'm your friend not your parent mm-hmm. and it also serves as a cover although i do think i believe in my heart of hearts they do believe it about themselves like it might i think they come to believe it about themselves you, ha- you have you to. have to or you recognize or you're recognizing that you you are the evil you say you're trying to destroy there's, there's a yes. There's a cognitive dissonance, dissonance there. that is too big. I think for you have to convince yourself you're. I, I think that's right, and that's yeah. why it, it, it is quite convincing because yeah. they really believe it. But at the end of the day, there is a real disconnect and dissonance because what does still matter most is making money, and right. you know. I'll, I'll give you an example. During COVID, Levi's, we laid off 15% of our workforce, perhaps required, right? The business, it was tough out there. Yeah, it was everywhere. hard to run a business. Yeah. Same time period, the CEO cashes in $43 million of stock. Tell me it wasn't just about the money mm-hmm. because those layoffs bolstered the stock price. The socially just thing would have been to find a way to keep people employed possibly de- demand that the world open up so that we could keep yes. people employed. Um, so that's why I say I think they believe it because deep down they also know they're going for the money and but, they don't want it to be exposed. But I think you're, boy, that's true. Um, the thing that I think we're missing here on this conversation is the fact that they've added, there's, there's, I don't know who has added, but there's another level to this this delusion, and that is some people know more than other people. So if they're part of the decisions and we're all going woke, we're better than these people. So making money, yes, but we're making things so much better in the long run. The ends justify the means. But it just, yeah, yes, I, I'm not arguing any of that. I agree with that. I think they also, I, I, th- I believe that somewhere in their brains, they still kind of maybe know. Let, I'll give you another to. example. When I, I wrote a formal proposal in October of 2020 saying, let's take a stand on this. We've done taken stands on all sorts of things, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Let's write a op-ed from Levi's in the local paper like we're a big business in this town we can make a difference and influence Um, the response back was we can't we'll look bad our kids are in private it'll make executives look bad because our kids go so it's like it will reveal that we are really elitist. I'm like, first of all, who doesn't think you are? I mean, everybody right, knows you said you're, knows. I'm the weirdo sending right, my kids right. to public school. No one's assuming you're not. Right. And why is it bad to say, my kids go to private. I want the same thing for every child in San Francisco. But it, it was sort of very that's revealing. It's like, like being in the Carnegie organization and being against when he decided to build libraries in all of the poor towns all across America. Right. We can buy everybody, our own books. We don't everybody, want everybody knows. Everybody knows you are so wealthy you can do this. This is doing good for the people who can't. Yes. But it revealed the lie, which is ultimately it's all about reputation laundering, mm. these stances. You know, and I think. Big time. 
it, it's laundering of reputation so that, hey, don't look over here. We're still mm-hmm. taking all the money. And mm-hmm. it works so well that even when they lay off 15% of the workforce, they say they're doing it with empathy and everybody's like, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So how does... Um I think that one of the reasons why they attack so viciously and relentlessly is because they know it's a house of cards. That's right. Right? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So if there's someone that threatens to reveal the lie. They've got to be destroyed. You're a apostate your hair there's a like come on we're all in in you know you don't they don't say it but like come on you know i know you know like let's do this and we get our big bonuses and Mm -hmm. we've got to lay these people off so that we can get our bonuses Mm -hmm. so that the stock you know continues to go up it's like an unspoken pact and i think that my quitting and not accepting the money was so astonishing (laughs) because no one gives up the money i know what lunatic gives up the money when I walked out, the last thing uh, Roger Ailes said to me when I walked out, they were offering, you know. More than nine million, I'm the sure. Wor- the world. And uh, he said, you're not going to leave. See? You're not going to leave. He said, no one leaves here. Exactly. And he had always called me Jack Parr. Um, and I said, hmm, I would have thought you would have understood because one guy who did leave was Jack Parr. And that was the first moment I saw the fear in his eyes of, this guy's leaving. He's really leaving. Yeah. They don't get it. No. But Because they've a, already sold their soul. That's right. And they can't even fathom or imagine that somebody else would do different. And, and that makes them hate you even more, oh I think. Oh, God. Yeah. You've got, like, it, it, I keep thinking about what they're saying to themselves now. They're like, see, we were right. She is whore. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. she wasn't with us. She mm-hmm. wouldn't keep our secrets. Right. She didn't care most about the money, first mm-hmm. and foremost. We say we care about the other stuff, but let's be honest, guys. We all mm-hmm. know what we really care mm-hmm. about is the money. She didn't. She's evil. She's a heretic. She has to so go. So how do we break this? Because this is, this is, it's destroying our nation. I, I mean, the, the smartest things that the uber, uber left, those who hate everything America stands for, the smartest thing they did was get into the boardroom. Yeah. You know, they got in and they infiltrated everything. And once they got into the boardroom, uh, everything changed because even I buy Apple products and I hate myself for it. I really do. What they're doing in China and the Uyghurs, it's inexcusable. What they just did with turning off uh, the um, air, what do you call it? Uh, you know, where you download to a friend just through yeah, the air. Drop, airdrop. Airdrop. That's... In China. It's crazy evil. It's crazy, crazy evil. But how do you break it? How do you get out of it? Because it's Goodness. everything. Yeah, it's also proof that, you know, consumers don't really care, right? Like, Levi's is thinking mm-hmm. they're taking all these stances because that's going to, you know, that's aligned with these young people's values. They don't care. They still buy Nikes. They still buy Apple. Um, none of them care. They, they don't, they don't mm-hmm. actually care. They like to pretend that they do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's it's true on the right as well. You know, they mm-hmm. burn their Nikes and then they go back to buying Nikes the next mm-hmm. week. They burn them because of Colin. <laughs> well, a lot do. Yeah. Brad is doing I, fine. One of the biggest things I think conservatives wrestle with is, you, do you still have Disney Plus? Do you still take your kids to Disneyland? I mean, if you are really right morally right this is wrong but what else do i do you can say i don't want the old stuff i I mean i don't want the new stuff i just want the old stuff but it's still feeding the same beast so what do what do you think they do what are they doing i think they hold out as many times as they possibly can and then still take their kids to disneyland you know I mean, there's there's like I don't give up my Apple product because it would dramatically change my life. Sneakers don't change my life. Yeah, Levi's don't change my life Um, at my age with my kids age. Disney doesn't change my life. Right. But if I had little kids, it'd be hard. It would be extraordinarily hard. Yeah. And I don't understand. I mean, I do because I understand history. People call this woke capitalism. You call it woke capitalism. And I'd like to. It's a shortcut for me, yeah. Okay. Because it's actually fascist. It is the definition of fascism. It is, absolutely. And I have written at length about this. And, you know, the issue now, and we've seen it writ large during COVID, is corporations, either directly or indirectly, are furthering or colluding with government to further their message. It is <laughs> grotesque. And, grotesque. you know, we've seen now with Twitter that it's direct with the Twitter files being published, although we kind of knew before there's literally direct communication from government op- operatives to Twitter saying, take these people down. They cannot say these things. My own husband has been banned from Twitter for saying the following. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. The vaccines have known side effects, myocarditis, blood clots, and strokes. That's a fact. Just read the Pfizer documentation. He then offered an opinion, which said, that is not my idea of, quote unquote, safe, banished. I think close to a year now. Still not back. Whether or not he has a lawsuit that's active with two other two other men um, who were kicked off for similar reasons so you have direct communication but I would argue that the alignment is so tight there doesn't even need to be direct communication it just happens now with Levi's in particular there are family connections to Gavin Newsom there are family Democratic office holders so there are direct connections um, but I don't even think there has to be a direct communication. No. There's just, they're like this, they're in lockstep. And that is the definition of fascism. I, I said at one point, got a lot of heat at one point that um, the, um, there would be a caliphate and you would see communist Marxists, um, capitalists and Islamicists all working together uh, to forward this. And they all said, oh, conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. They'll never work together. Are you a conspiracy theory? Yeah, I know. (laughs) And I I was very, very clear. Working together doesn't mean they call each other. That's right. They're in lockstep. That's right. This is good for us. That's right. They're going that way. Let's go. 
Yes, and I would add to that the press is also in lockstep. And I think, you know, what we're watching now with Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX is really illustrative. Will he go to, will he pay at all for this? I I don't know. And even today, (sighs) when we see the fraud and what appears to be obvious criminality, (laughs) um, He's on stage at the New York Times Dealbook Summit last week with Andrew Ross Sorkin. People are saying, oh, he asked tough questions. No, he didn't. He giggled. He, the guy got like a standing yeah. ovation or at least like a round of applause for his aw shucks. I didn't do fraud yeah. to anyone. Um, and, you know, the press's glowing articles about him for the last two years is why he avoided any scrutiny for so long. He says it himself. He says, we take these stances so people like us. He said the quiet part out loud. He said it to a Vox reporter who, by the way, he thought was in on the pact. She's one of like, I can say this to her now. Obviously, she doesn't have <laughs> the kind of money he had, but he still thought of her in the same. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that's why he said it. Right. Mm-hmm. Last question is we're way over time Sorry. already i could talk i could <laughs> talk with you would you come back again this is not I, the last question but would you come back again i would love it okay. yeah um if i'm listening to this and i'm like okay i know i know i know i know what do we do i didn't answer that part what do we do goodness i really am at a little bit of a loss but i just will not stop talking about it i mean i think most people are followers, I think we've learned, and will do um, whatever the group is doing. They would rather stand with the group than stand apart and alone and do the right thing. But that means we can bring them around. <laughs> That's mm-hmm, the good mm-hmm. news, yeah. is we can. And if you have a few outspoken, brave people who are willing to keep saying it and make it make sense, and despite the opprobrium and name calling, keep going, it happens slowly and then all at once. Now, they don't, if they come over and say, yeah, this is wrong, the 65% of Americans mm-hmm. who are quiet right now or confused, they don't really, they'll believe the next thing too. Yeah, but, yeah. but it doesn't matter. We can bring them along. You know, it happened to me in gymnastics. It was, I was vile and hated. And suddenly, 10 years later, they pretended they always stood with me. They Correct. didn't. I got the emails, right. yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I also think that, Companies, look, I'm the first real insider that's come forward, and but other people are going to do it. They're going to think twice about this. Yeah. There are, I have no doubt there are conversations happening. How do we avoid this PR nightmare in the future? Now, they might decide that the way they avoid it is make everybody sign something that says you won't be active mm-hmm. on social media. That would not be the outcome I would want. Yeah. But that's a real possibility. So, I don't know. I, I think what I think your solution of, you know, courage is cur- um, contagious. Uh, contagious. And um, and if for the 65 percent, you know, there's always 19 to 20 percent. I think the far, far I hate everything about America is less than 20 percent. And it's not going to get it's it. Well, I think it's I less know. than I think it's less than ten on either side. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, but 
20% changes the world. There's a tipping point. And if, if those who wake up, who truly value the Bill of Rights, and because I, I don't, at this point, that's all I want to preserve for my kids. That's all I want to preserve for my kids. It's a lot. Constitution, Bill of Rights. Let's let them be free, okay? If those who believe that, even if we disagree on absolutely everything else, Can would come together, that's when this will happen. Because there's still this divide of trust. I'm not sure if I trust you. I, you wouldn't be on the show if I didn't know you believed in the Bill of Rights. Um, but that's what has to happen. We have to come together with people that make us a little afraid of, I don't want to necessarily be on their side. You know what I mean? But do we join here? Yeah. And not that I don't want to be. I'm yeah. with you 100%. No, I, I'm not afraid of, look, I have um, met every <laughs> sort of conservative in the last few months that I um, was told, you know, was evil. And that is, I've found that. Uh, in, to, to have amazing conversations and I have easily found the commonality yeah. with no struggle right. whatsoever. And that's what has to happen. Yeah. I've had the same thing with people who, you know, were, I thought, Marxist professors Interesting. that are fantastic. We love each other. Yeah. I mean, I guess I feel like you know what, you may be fine with this, you know, for me, COVID is what brought it all mm. to the fore and you may have been fine with that, but guess what? You're next. You're not going to agree with everything. Mm -hmm. um, I guess if enough people get canceled, then mm. we can all live on canceled island and we can be the big voice that kind of pushes back. It, it's going to be enough people one day. It's and kind of my theory on the border. I say leave the border open, let everybody from Mexico come here. Then at night, we'll go there. We get the beaches. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Um, it just seems like the group will keep growing and growing and growing, and you can't cancel everybody, yeah. and that we in, on Canceled Island find the commonality Yeah. because we're forced to, and we just become a bigger and bigger force over time. I mean, stronger. look, even in China, they're protesting now. You can push people too far. Mm-hmm possible what are you doing now what's next um well i spent the summer writing this book i wrote it in like two months in, in a fever dream it's hard isn't it it's really hard yeah. <laughs> but i recommend doing it that way instead of dragging it out for five years just mm -hmm. get it done um i'm making a documentary film about the impact to kids from the prolonged school closures good for you and it's going well. We're probably 80% filmed. Probably so. won't get an Emmy for this one. I probably won't, but that's okay. <laughs> I, you know what I will say is I do think that some folks are trying really hard to kind of distance themselves from having either been silent or advocated for closures. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Fauci is, right? He says, mm -hmm. I had nothing to do with it. So we may find some brave streamer who mm -hmm. <laughs> wants to distance themselves mm -hmm. and put the film on. Um, and then, I, I mean, I'm going to figure out what to do. I actually have had corporate offers i'm a little hesitant right now but one day good for, you. good for you thank you so much yeah thank you god bless just a reminder i'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people 